My name is Dave Mitchell, and uh, be able to share together in God's Word. That's what we want to do here this morning. And we're in the series called The Chronicles of the Kings, and we're talking about moving away from a half-hearted faith. And that's one of the struggles that I sometimes have, and maybe you do as well. But I was intrigued by something, just to sort of set it up, that uh, one of our own, that fact could have been on that slide there, one of our own Matthew Slater that was in our preschool and our various uh, ministries here at Calvary Church. He played for the world champion New England Patriots. And yes, didn't I say that they would win two weeks ago? And uh, one of the things that's amazing uh, about Matthew, Matthew has been uh, put on this platform that's just incredible, and his testimony has gone out. We showed a video here uh, a couple of weeks ago, the day of the Super Bowl, of his testimony of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. He won the Bart Starr Award. The Bart Starr Award is put out by Athletes in Action for the Christian character, the character of a player that is really exemplary in terms of how they play as well as off the field and some of their other uh, private activities as well. So Matthew is one of those uh, winners that was awarded that uh, back there at the uh, Super Bowl weekend. And so it reminded me of something from Bart Starr's days. Bart Starr, uh, good character, played football, one of the greats that uh, maybe some of you didn't get to see. I think I got to see him a little bit because I am of a certain age. And so it's great to be able to see these guys that uh, continue to walk with the Lord and look to him. Bart Starr talks about Vince Lombardi, one of the great, quarter, one of the great coaches, I should say, uh, that has ever coached the game, uh, just uh, so famous and powerful in what he has done. Well, Bart Starr wrote this about his uh, world champion, Green Bay Packers. He says, under Coach Lombardi, he says, I wasn't mentally tough before I met Coach Lombardi. I hadn't reached the point where I refused to accept second best. He said, to win... You have to have a certain amount of mental toughness. Coach Lombardi gave me that. He taught me that you must have a flaming desire to win. It's got to dominate all your waking hours. It can't ever wane. It's got to glow in you all the time. Now that's what you call about a wholehearted football player. He's all in. And there is nothing waning about it or wavering at all in his attempt to achieve the very best. That's for football. This morning we're talking about something more important than football. We're talking about a relationship where we are all in, where we have a passion like he talks about that is a following of Jesus Christ. Where we move from a heart that is half-hearted or quarter-hearted, we move it fully as a follower of Jesus. So that's what we want to unpack this morning. We're in the Chronicles of Kings and the Kings that you see on the chart that's on the back side of the outline that you have in the bulletin that you would have received here this morning, and you will find your listening pleasure goes way up if you follow that outline because there's a lot of stuff on there. Can't cover it all, but we present it to help. That he is part of the southern tribe of Judah, and uh, he is the king over that land about 800 B.C.-ish, somewhere in that era of time. And uh, Amaziah was an unusual character, but I want to set up where we're going to go with this. I don't know a lot about astronomy. I've always been intrigued by it. But as you well know, and we all should know this, of course, the moon circles around the earth. And as it goes around our globe, it changes. And throughout the month, it'll have different presentations. There is the beautiful time where you see it rising over here and it just comes over those uh, Cowan Heights mountains and suddenly this huge glowing, it just looks like it's 
two times as big as it normally is. And then in the course of the month, it begins to change. And there is a half of a, of a moon. And there is a quarter of a moon. And then there is no moon, which is a new moon, for whatever reason it's called that. And then it becomes a, half, a quarter of a moon, then a half a moon, and eventually becomes a full moon. And so in the course of a month, its phases of presentation can change. And it's only as powerful as the sun that illuminates it. And it doesn't have any light in its own except what the sun creates in it. Now, here's where we transition. The challenge for a lot of us, and I'll say it for myself, is that I can be a lot like the moon in the course of a month. Well, sometimes I'm wholeheartedly in. I mean, I am in. I am committed. There is nothing wavering or waning, as Bart Starr would say. It's glowing in me all the time, to whatever degree that would be. But in the course of a month, things change. People change. Circumstances change. Suddenly we're in this uh, sense of uh, downward spile. It could be financially. It could be in terms of health. It could be relationships. Something happens to our daughters. Something disappointing happens in our daughters, and I'm never happy if they're not happy. And my heart can move from wholeheartedness to half-heartedness to even a quarter-heartedness in terms of my sense of that, God, you're in this thing. I'm going to trust you. And I'm beginning to think, no, I can't trust you, God, because if you were in this thing, you'd be already doing something about it. And there are things that happen in our church And sometimes my heart is not wholehearted because I'll see experiences of people and disappointments in life and failures that come into marriages and spiritually walking away from what we thought was a commitment. And frankly, it's sometimes hard to keep a whole heart when that happens. So I want to acknowledge that for me and maybe for some of you, In the course of a month, like the moon, we can have this phase of presentation of being wholehearted, half-hearted, quarterly-hearted, or empty-hearted relationship. And I want to unpack that because here's what God said about Amaziah. He is the chosen king for today. Amaziah became king, and it says in 2 Chronicles 25, 1 and 2, Amaziah was 25 years old. So he's a young guy getting started, and he served the Lord as king for 29 years. But the yellow is what intrigues me, the yellow words. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Now that's not what I would want anybody to put on my gravestone. Dave did right in the sight of the Lord, but boy, there was many days when he didn't have a whole heart. That's not exactly the Bart star glowing in you all the time kind of a life. And so we want to unpack and understand why is it, what is it that causes my heart to make, not to be wholeheartedly walking with the Lord. And the first thing that I noticed as the passage begins, and we're in Second Chronicles 25, if you want to turn in your Bible or your phone or your iPad or the Bible that's in the chair rack in front of you, Second Chronicles chapter 25 begins this way in verse 3. Now it came about about Amaziah, as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, that he killed his servants who had slain his father the king. Now his father had been really sabotaged, betrayed by some of the servants, so these servants killed this Amazon's, Amaziah's father. So he becomes king, he establishes rule, he is in charge, he has authority, and he does what really is rightfully his to do, although 
you and I, we might have done it differently. But in those days, that's just the way it was. He takes those that killed his king and he kills them. Now, we don't go around doing that on our own, but in those days, that was the economy. And that's the way God legislated it. And so he took this action, but it says in verse 4, however, he did not put their children to death, but did as it was written in the law of the book of Moses, which the Lord commanded, saying, fathers shall not be put to death for sons, nor sons be put to death for fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. And in a way, that's, that's a good thing. So Amaziah as king could have put to, get to death the sons and the grandsons, the nieces and the nephews of all these servants that had done this terrible thing of killing his dad. He had the authority to do that, but he did not have the biblical command to do that. So the application for you and for me is that we don't go around killing people that do bad things. But the application is this. Here's what God says. Here's what I do. God says that I do it. That's a wholehearted faith. I may question it. I may not understand it. But if this is what God says, man, I'm going to live according to the light that I have. So I live that truth out. That's a wholehearted faith. He begins that way. And so then what happens is the heart takes that wholeheartedness and it begins to wane. It begins to shrink down. He goes to what I now call a half-hearted faith. It doesn't say half-hearted faith in the text but I'm imposing my interpretation on what is a lack of a whole heart. And I'm calling it a half-hearted faith. So a half-hearted faith is this. It's when I trust in my own strength rather than God's wisdom, when I trust in what he says less and I trust in what I say as more. It's this misunderstanding of my own strength and wisdom that I don't look to God, but I look to myself. And that's what happens in verses 6 through 10. Let me read what God says for us as he, he really organizes the community. And then in verse 6, he hired 100,000 valiant warriors out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. Now what Amaziah is doing in that verse, he says, I want to hire 100,000 mercenary soldiers. I'm going to pay them money to go do battle for me in behalf of us. Now that's not according to God's will. As you see as the prophet man of God comes to him in verse 7. He says, but a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. This is the ten northern tribes of Israel, as they were referred to in that day, nor with any of the sons of Ephraim, which is another way of saying the northern tribes of the sons of Israel. But if you do go, be strong in the battle, yet God will not bring you before the enemy." For God has power to help and to bring down. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord has much more to give to you than this. Then Amaziah dismissed them, the troops which came to him from Ephraim, Israel, the northern tribes, to go home. So their anger burned against Judah, and they returned home in fierce anger. And they rallied the people together and attacked Edom. So here's what's going on. Amaziah is in charge. He's 25. Maybe he's 30 by this time. He's wiped out those who have killed his father. And then he wants to rally his troops. And so what he does, he says, I don't trust that we have enough power on our own. So I'm going to hire the mercenary soldiers from Israel. I'll pay them 100 talents so that they can have money. And then we'll go do battle. 
Because I don't trust in God's power. I don't trust in my power. I don't trust my people's power. I need help. The man of God says, don't do that. And so there is the violation that's taking place. And here are the three areas of violation. I get them actually from Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah 23 and 24. I've used it many times. Every opportunity I find, I will use Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 are the two verses that I'd like to have when I die. I'm not going to be uh, buried in a gravesite. I'm going to be cremated. And what I've asked my wife to do is to cremate me and put my ashes in a U-Ban coffee can and stick it in a closet somewhere and then put on that a piece of white paper that is inscribed Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24. So every time she opens that closet to get the umbrella or a coat, she can see my verse. And she goes, hi, Dave. And Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24, this is what, this is what it says. Wonderful. Jeremiah wrote this about 200 years after Amaziah. So he's like 600 B.C. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches. But he goes on to say, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. And then he says, for I delight in these things. Man, that's where I delight. That's my delight. So what God is saying is that this thing, these three areas, don't boast about your wisdom, don't boast about your might or your power, don't boast about your wealth. The reality is we're all unequal in that area. None of us are as smart as the other person or as dumb as the other person. None of us are as powerful or controlling or influential as the other person. We're all different there. None of us are as wealthy as this person or that person. God distributes differences of wisdom, power, and wealth to all of us. We're all unequally in that, and that's okay. So I don't compare, I don't compete. All that God says is don't let those things be the driving force of your life. Don't boast about them. Don't hang on to them. Don't put your faith there, because what happens when that happens? Here's what happened to Amaziah. He trusted in his own wisdom rather than God's. Because in verses 6 and 7, he went out there and he know, he knew, I should say, that hiring 100,000 Israeli soldiers is not according to God's will. So he didn't listen to God. He did his own thing. Secondly, he relied upon his own power. So he conspires together with 100,000 mercenary Israeli soldiers so they can come in and do for him what he thought he couldn't do for himself because he's not good enough. So he relies upon this enemy power. They were essentially enemies, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And so his power is not good enough. So he, he says, I, I need to bolster my own power. But he didn't think about God's power. And then finally, of the three, the wisdom, the power, and wealth, he pays these men 100 talents of silver. And then he says to this man of God, what am I going to do about all the money that I gave to the 100,000 soldiers? How do I get my money back? I've lost all this money. He's, he's more concerned about the money that he's lost than the disobedience to God about hiring the mercenaries. And God says that's, that's the beginning of a heart that first of all began wholly for me, but then gets sliced in is a half-hearted faith that is saying, I don't think God has what I need to live for him. And God says, I want you to have a wholehearted faith. Now let me illustrate. This last week was Valentine's Day. 
you all remembered to whoever your sweetheart is to give them something, I'm sure. If you didn't, you better be at the marriage seminar this week. One of the things that I do for joy because it's easy is go over to Seize Candy. I, I can't buy gifts for joy. I'd rather give her $1,000 and just go buy something. And because I don't have $1,000, I don't do that. <laughs> but I always buy her a box of Seize Candy because she loves Seize Candy. I hate Seize Candy. So she gets the whole thing. She doesn't have to worry about me snitching any on her. In fact, when I bought the Seize Candy this last week, when I went over the Seize over there in Tustin Marketplace, they give you a freebie, a little free thing of candy. And I took one bite out of it and threw it away. I thought, this is disgusting. How does anybody eat this? Because I had nuts. I hate nuts. I hate chocolate. I hate really, really, really hate dark chocolate. It's just like... And I know I have some friends out there. Thank you very much. So one of the things I did about her Seize Candy, it was not exactly like this because I'm not kind of a flashy heart kind of a guy. Uh, but we got this because I wanted to illustrate that wouldn't it be great, what, what would you think if I bought Joy this beautiful heart? Let me go over here to Jeff McKee. I saw your pictures up there, Jeff. You haven't changed a bit. You look so terrific. So, Jeff, as I open this box of uh, Russell Stove, Stover, Stove, Stover, um, what would you think if I gave Joy this box of chocolates? What do you see there? There's something missing. They are half gone. They're half empty. I don't know if you can see that or not. But uh, how would Joy feel if I gave to her a half-eaten box of chocolates? And I said, Joy, you know, I bought this chocolates and I started eating them. And I had as much as I really want, so I'll give you the leftovers of this. How would you feel if your sweetheart, your Valentine, gave you the leftovers after you've had your own fill? Would that be a wonderful thing, Jeff? Would that, you wouldn't do that to Kim. I know you wouldn't do that. No? Right. Has he ever done that, Kim? He might do that. Okay, thank you. I hope you're going to the marriage seminar this weekend. Right. Well, that's, that's how sometimes I think maybe God looks at me. I've got so much time. I've got only so much money. And once I use my time, my money, and my energy for what I want, then I give God the rest. I'm all, I'm all done, God. Here, here you go. Take my seconds, if you will, and enjoy it. And God says, I don't want a half-hearted faith. I want a wholehearted faith. I want 100% of you and all that you have. And so this would not be represented very well. Now, I'm going to leave this out here. So would you just pass this around and all help yourselves and enjoy that, Okay. What's interesting, see, when you sit in the front, there you go. They're all going to have sugar high in just a moment. It's interesting, when Joy and I at Valentine's Day, I got her a card and she got me a card. And what's fascinating is when I gave her the card that I got her, she looked at the card and says, I got you this card last year. I thought, oh, my goodness. Because I thought I was so right. Because it was a, a guy in a motorcycle with a little sidecar. And I love having you riding alongside me through life. I know. You have to be a motorcyclist to get 
And she gave me a card, and it was a motorcycle selling that as well. And I was riding in the back. So it's kind of interesting, which is a little bit better than what we used to do when, when, when money was short with us. We were a little tighter. One of the things that we would do on Valentine's Day is we'd go to the Hallmark store. And we'd walk there. All the sweet, you know, Valentine cards are there. And I would choose out my card, and she would choose her card. And then we would exchange cards, and I'd give her my card, and she'd give me her card. And I'd read it, oh, Joy, it's so nice. You love me so much. I'm your sweetheart. Oh, David, you're so great. And then we'd put the cards back, and we'd walk out. (laughs) And so it was much more economic in those days because I'm extremely cheap. And, boy, if I can save two or three bucks, I'm in. But that would be sort of a half-hearted, all-in relationship. What God wants us to do is when we offer to Him our half, half-hearted gifts, when we offer to God our leftovers of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, that I don't want to be one of those kind of a guys that sort of gives God the leftovers half-heartedly. I want to be one of those that really returns back to the wholeheartedness of God. And here is what God says in that same passage. In that same passage where wisdom, power, and wealth are being diluted in a half-hearted way, God has called us to do this. And here is where the man of God came to him. And the man of God says to him, he says, look, here is what God says about how you should handle this situation. I don't want you going off on your own human wisdom where you haven't sought the godly counsel of others and God's word to guide you in this matter. So he brings God's wisdom into that because every decision I make has consequences. This is the consequence. Wait, you drop down to verse 10. So their anger, these men that didn't get to go into battle, their anger burned against Judah and they returned home in fierce anger. Bad decisions often result in bad consequences, and it just destroyed this relationship. There's anger. There's frustration. There's a brokenness here because Amaziah made a bad decision. When my decisions are based upon what I think I should do rather than what God tells me to do, when my decisions are based upon what feels right for me rather than what the godly counsel of others say to me, I'm likely to make bad decisions that leads to bad consequences. Sometimes it doesn't work so bad. I got an email uh, a while ago, and I'm going to share it with you. Some of you may have remember this, but I thought it fits so well, and I wanted you to hear. There's a friend of ours, Joy's and mine, that we went to college together. Her name is Charlotte, and Joy and Charlotte still hang out to this day. We went to Westmont College way back in, you know, six, seven years ago, something like that, a little longer than that. And... Uh, Charlotte's still a great friend. So her son wrote me this letter. He used to attend here at Calvary until they moved away. He says, hello, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you so much for going to Westmont. Because you went to Westmont, you met a guy who encouraged you. And that would be Bob. I'll share with you about Bob. He encouraged me. Then at Westmont, you met Joy. Joy was roommates with Charlotte. Charlotte later had me, uh, and in between there, he, she got married to Jim, and Jim and Charlotte had Brent. So I moved to Irvine to go to college. I needed to find a good church near school. I knew you, so I went to Calvary. 
After going to Calvary a couple of years, I met Elizabeth. Then you married us, and now she is my wife. Since you decided to go to Westmont, God was able to direct my path to the woman of my dreams. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Now think about that. One of the joys of getting old like me is that you begin to see consequences. And when you are directed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and you become convinced under godly counsel and godly biblical truth that decisions that you are making are from him, you make those decisions, then in the course of time, whatever that decision is, it affected who I married, it affected who Brent married, a generation or two down, and it affects whose relationships we still enjoy to this day. And I thought, this is the, the domino effect from God, that when I make good decisions, there are better chances of good consequences and good outcomes. That doesn't just affect me and my wife and our children, but it affects even other people that in some sort of extraneous way are brought into our sphere of influence. So it tells me again, reminds me again, don't boast about your own wisdom, but boast in who God is and what God wants. Because the decisions that some of us make and some of you are the age that I was when I was making those decisions. And I'm telling you, in decades from now, you will see ramifications and consequences. And good decisions are more likely from God to lead to good outcomes. And secondly, he says in this text, he says, I want you to trust in God's power, not your own seemingly inability to defeat the enemy. So the man of God comes and says, I've got God on your side. He has power to help you. He says to him, this in verse 8, but if you do go, do it. Be strong in the battle, yet God will bring you down before the enemy because he had sacrificed his power for God's. But then he says, for God has power to help and to bring down. God has power. God wants to come alongside and show himself that when you think you're unable, that God comes along and gives you capacity. God loves that. You know, Brent, the reason I wanted to bring him up, Brent and Elizabeth had two children. They live in another city now, but we still stay in touch. So Brent and Elizabeth at that point uh, told us about their little six-year-old boy, and they had a little infant. Now, Elizabeth is in the medical field. She's a PA, so she knows a lot about medicine and, and doctoring and things like that. Well, when she was changing the diapers and the little infant, the little infant tumbled off the little table and bumped his head and his body. So this little guy starts crying. He cries for an hour. Finally, Elizabeth says, I've done everything. I know what to do. I need to run him to the ER. Let's have him checked out. And so as she's packing up the baby to get in the car, Brent's there with a six-year-old. And Brent stops and says, we need to pray. Let's pray. So he brings his little boy over there, and they pray for a little younger brother that God would care for him. So Elizabeth gets in the car, packs it up, heads to the hospital, pulls into the parking lot of the ER. And as she pulls into the parking lot of the ER, the little baby stops crying. It seems to be fine. So she checks him out again and thinks, I think I can handle this at home. So she turns around and heads back home. So she's walking in the door with the little baby, fine, happy, doing fine. And the little six-year-old says, did the doctor fix the baby? She says, no. 
We got into the parking lot, and I didn't even need to take him inside. He was okay without going to the doctor. And the little six-year-old says, wow, you mean God did it all by himself? I thought, that's a wholehearted faith. The little six-year-old teaches me that sometimes it's good to go to the doctor and go to the ER. We're not saying that. But there are many times when no matter what, even in the ER, that God is there to help. That God's power wants to reveal himself to us. And so that's why I love this quote of Alan Redpath, and I put it in the email that I send out every week, and I know that probably all of you have already read this. But in case one of you didn't, Alan Redpath wrote this, said this to a young woman whose husband had left her. And she was devastated. And in that midst, she's losing heart. But he writes, there is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until first of all it has gone past God and past Christ, right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at that moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to, the, to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose, a blessing, my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret. For I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. And that is the rest of victory. God wants us to rest in his power. God wants us to rest in his wisdom, his knowledge. God wants us to rest in the fact that he is a resourceful God that comes alongside, as the man of God says to him, he says, the Lord has much more money. He's all worried about the money he's paid out to the 100,000 Israeli mercenary soldiers. And this man of God says, don't worry about it. God owns everything. He can give you much more. You shouldn't have to fret or worry about the loss of resources when there is a mighty God that wants to come alongside and reveal himself to you. So as Jeremiah says, don't boast about your wisdom. Go to God's wisdom. Don't boast about your own power. Go to God's power. Don't boast about or cry about your own lack of wealth or great wealth because God has much more for you. So he wants us to move from that half-hearted faith to a wholehearted faith where we trust in him. And here is what sometimes happens as well, where my half-hearted faith actually begins to move around and I begin to compromise. When I compromise my worship and my beliefs about God, this is what happened to Amaziah. Beginning in verse 14, I'll read portions of it, but his heart begins to go all the way to what I call an empty-hearted relationship with God. And I'll show you why that is. In verse 14, we read this about Amaziah. Now, after Amaziah came from slaughtering the Edomites, he destroys his enemy. Edom is a little portion of, of land that was to the east of Judah, to the southern part of that area. And they're the enemies. And so they're doing battle. They destroy them. God's power was there. But he brought the gods of the sons of Seir, and he set them up as his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. And this must have been so aggravating to God. Here is this man we are told that did right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. And what's he doing bringing back idols to his own place of worship? But my goodness, how do you get to that place? And we don't, we don't go to foreign nations and bring back idols. That's not us. We're not going to battle to kill people and bring back their goods and worship them in the worship center here. We don't, 
We don't do that. But one thing I do is that my heart is not always wholeheartedly where God wants it to be when I come to worship. You know, this is my job. Believe it or not, I get paid to do this. <laughs> and I can come up here and be like one of those mercenary soldiers. And I can just put in the time, collect the paycheck, go home. There are pastors that do that. Sometimes my heart isn't up here and all in. I say, God, I'm sorry. Because sometimes there'll be songs that are on the screen and I'll mouth the words because I want to look like, oh, look at Dave, he's worshiping. <laughs> but my heart is not very close to the Lord and I'm not even thinking about the words I'm saying. I'm thinking about, oh, let's see, what's next? I need to look at my, what's on the sheet for that's what's coming up next? How's the time going? Are we over time? Are we under time? I'm thinking about anything but the words and I'm becoming just like Amaziah. Well, I don't have big idols, big stones, but I got an empty heart that's not connecting with the Lord. I want to invite you to be wholeheartedly in if you're not. I want to invite our worship to be wholeheartedly before the Lord. I want to invite you to come on time. Come on time. Wholeheartedly. Now, it's all you know, 11 o'clock, that's just, that's just a number. But that's when we begin. And it's hard for me to worship the Lord if I come in halfway with a half a heart. I need prep time. I need, I need, to, I need that time for my heart to put aside yesterday, this morning, and next week and say, be all in now. So I invite you, prepare your hearts. I know there's a lot of things, kids, nursery, finding rooms, I get it. But I just invite us to be wholeheartedly on time, wholeheartedly in the moment. When we're here, we're all in. We're thinking, we're worshiping, and I may be just preaching to myself right now. And I hope I am. But I just invite us to not be like Amaziah. And also, Amaziah is out there and he began to be influenced by the culture around him. The text in verse 15 says, Why have you sought the gods of the people who have not delivered their own people from your hand? So he starts going to the Edomites for what he believes in. Why are you going to those people whose God has not helped them? They can't be helped by their God because there is no God. So he begins to import the belief system of the Edomites into his own belief system. And God says, I don't want you to surrender what biblical truth is all about. I don't want you to surrender who I am as a mighty God. I don't want you to be influenced by the cultural values that wants to dilute the values of biblical truth. I don't want you to be selling out to the ways of the world because the world is always going to blow against the truth of God's word. There will always be that influence. So I invite us to be wholeheartedly around biblical truth that increasingly feels like a minority viewpoint and can be easily maligned in certain areas of that Scripture. And we see it. But I invite you to be steadfast, not half-heartedly, not quarter-heartedly, not empty-heartedly, where I surrender to what the world is saying about to what God says. 
And finally, I need to have this heart that really is fully realizing that God's word helps me. And God uses people to help me. In verse 16, as as, uh, this man of God, this prophet was speaking to the king, the king says, have we appointed you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? Then the prophet stopped and said, I know that God has planned to destroy you because you have done this and you have not listened to my counsel. God brings godly people to our lives to help us to be who God wants us to be. And I need to listen to godly counsel. There are marriages, there are relationships that are going sideways because of refusal to admit the truth and to receive God's truth. (coughs) God wants us to walk with him. Let me tell you, one of the things I've learned when I was at Westmont, speaking of Westmont earlier, I was living for the Lord (coughs) with a half a heart, if even that. I grew up in a pastor's home. The first third of my life was like quarter to a half a heart. You know, like the phase of the moon, I just kind of would bounce, and I wouldn't all in. <clears throat> and I was living at Westmont in Armington Hall. One of my friends, his name is Bob, came alongside me. <clears throat> I was thinking about this because we were sharing this last Sunday night in our life group. And <clears throat> Bob took me to Jack and Jill restaurant. Jack and Joe was a little dive outside of Westmont where they had wonderful hamburgers. You'd drive by and think, why would anybody want to eat there? Well, that's where we ate. <clears throat> and then Bob sat me down. He says, Dave, your spiritual life is a mess. I said, well, thank you, Bob. <laughs> You're sitting on a fence. I think that you either should get on one side with God or get on the other side and just go do your own thing. But quit trying to have it both ways. Quit being a hypocrite. Quit on the outside looking like you're walking with Jesus, but on the inside, you're just not there. And I had a half-hearted faith. I was, half of my heart would occasionally be with the Lord, and I'd read Scripture. I have a half of the heart. I could care less about Scripture. I never went to church on Sundays in Westmont. I never went to church on Sundays. In college. We got college students that are more mature today than I ever was when I was at Westmont. And God convicted me through Bob. He was my man of God that Amaziah had. And that was the kick in the behind that I needed that caused me to recommit so that I had a half a heart a chance that the grace of God that had given me so much would forgive me. And I invite you into that. See, one of the things that God loves to do is to bring us back. And sometimes, as what happened in Amaziah's case, <clears throat> he went from an empty heart to a whole heart. And one of the things that God did is he caused this chaos to come into his life. He caused corrective discipline to come to Amaziah. Sometimes God used circumstances to bring him back. And I'll leave that for you to read on your own. But I love how God sometimes disturbs us so much with the circumstances of life so that we have no place to go but to him. So I want to close with this and then invite you to do something. When we were at Westmont, we had Vietnam vets that were living with us in our hall. and 
And they were coming back and just ravaged from that war. And then if you were there in those days, it was just awful. There were riots. The UCSB there in, in Goleta, they turned, burned down the Bank of America. So the riots you might see on some of the Berkeley campuses and elsewhere, man, we saw it way back then in the 70s. One of the men that flew in the Air Force, his name was Howard Rutledge. And he wrote a book about his experience of being shot down and put into a POW prison. And for years he was in that POW prison. And this is, listen to what he wrote. It's just two paragraphs, so listen carefully. Just during those longer periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, Phyllis, his wife, had encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded. She just kept hoping, but I was too busy too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now, now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me in that POW camp. My hunger for spiritual food outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in heartbreak, the name of the POWs gave to the prison camp. Solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimensions of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. Sometimes God does what he did to Amaziah imprisons, circumstances, struggles, hardships. No one wants that. I don't want that. But when we listen to God, say, God, through this, I want your wisdom, I want your power, I want your resources to help me. And my whole heart is yours. You got my attention. Draw me back. I want to invite you to reflect. Where is your heart? Where is your heart in this whole journey as you think about where God has you? Is it wholehearted? Is it half-hearted? Is it a quarter heart? Is it maybe empty-hearted? Is it a heart that needs Jesus Christ for the very first time? But I want to invite you to reflect on that. And as our band comes up and leads us in worship, even during this first song, just remain in your seats and reflect, God, where is my heart? Do you need someone that I needed, like Bob, to come alongside and kind of nudge? Do you need to just in my own heart say, God, forgive me and return to me a clean heart for your sake? Where are you at? And just reflect on that, and then I'll come back up and just invite us to come and participate in the elements that are here. So let me pray. God, help us as we come before you. That, God, that your will would be done in each of our lives wherever we are at. I know that for a lot of my life, maybe the first third of my life, I would not call myself a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And maybe there's some that are sort of like that. I don't know. But I invite all of us to self-inspect, to reflect now, to give you an opportunity short of prison of a whatever sort that may be, like Howard Rutledge, 
to realize that without you, life is empty, an empty heart. That, God, we would come before you, your truth, your power, your resources, to strengthen us with a whole heart. Father, thank you in Jesus' name.